Good morning. That's kind of cool. Um, Our scripture reading today is Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 14. On the Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, it's page 371. If you happen to be like me and can't see those Bibles, we do have a large print Bible on the table in the back. And um, if you need a Bible at home, please feel free to take one as a gift from Cornerstone. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you, and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny. All right. We are in Jeremiah today. I almost said tonight, uh, this morning. So today I'm preaching on politics. I heard about one pastor who preached a sermon series on politics and 20% of his congregation left the church. So uh, I'm trying to grow the church. Please don't leave. Uh, That's, uh, just put that out there. So I'm preaching on faith and politics today. Uh, This is a picture of our state house. I was just at the uh, fourth Akinge retreat up at Gordon-Conwell. This is a special program that I've uh, been blessed to be a part of. And my goal today is just talk about what we learned there a little bit to communicate some of the things I learned, some of the things that I am wrestling with. So this is a come along with me, grow with me uh, kind of sermon. Uh, But my goal today is not to convince anyone to vote for a particular candidate or issue. Uh, It is not to review the news. And it was interesting because I planned this sermon like a year ago. Uh, uh, Well, maybe it wasn't quite that long. It was like six months ago. Uh, And what an interesting week to talk about politics. That's my only reference to the news uh, in my whole sermon. So uh, please bear with me. Uh, But I do believe the Bible calls us to think about uh, how we think about politics. Uh, Because if we are whole life disciples, that means we give every part of our life to God, including things like our politics. Now, today is not a comprehensive overview of politics and faith. That would take a much longer study. But I do hope that today's sermon is at least helpful for framing it. Uh, If it's not helpful, maybe thought-provoking. And if not thought-provoking, maybe an opportunity to extend me grace. 
but I do hope today is a, a friendly message and it, it provokes friendly conversations. Uh, and I would like to have a conversation today with anyone who wants to come talk with me about my sermon. I'm going to get lunch at Panera. So if you want to talk immediately about what I said, please come to Panera with me after church. Or you can come to our Christian Ed Hour next week uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. upstairs in the conference room. Now, in preparation for this retreat, the Gate retreat, our 14 pastors and ministers, ministry leaders, uh, they read this book called To Change the World by James Davidson Hunter. Has anyone in this room read this book? Andy, like, scratched his head. That's like a fake out. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I was really surprised there for a second. Uh, Okay, well, I have read this book, and I encourage you to give it a try. It's a challenging book to read, but it's, uh, it's pretty rewarding. Uh, I'm going to be teaching and sharing many of the things that I learned from this, path, from this book, plus uh, from our time there at the Akengay Retreat. I don't want this to just be a book review, so we're also studying on the Scripture. We're, we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, 4 through 14. But even then, a lot of the lessons from Jeremiah 29 come from what I learned from this book. And before we do any of that, let me just take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for politics. You give us rulers and leaders and systems of government to help us live ordered and prosperous lives. May today's sermon not divide, but provide a godly and biblical perspective on an often difficult topic. Open our ears, guide my words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with this question. How should Christians live in exile? How should Christians, how should believers, how should you and I live in exile? Someone who is in exile is someone who is not in their home country. Exiles live somewhere foreign, somewhere that they don't feel as comfortable The Bible calls believers exiles. That's right. The Bible calls you and me exiles. Hear what Peter says to the early churches. Uh, uh, 1 Peter 1.1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and Westford, Massachusetts. That's the more apocryphal Jonathan version of that, uh, of that verse. We are exiles. We don't live in our home country. The book of Hebrew calls uh, the heroes of our faith foreigners and strangers on earth. People like Abraham. You ever thought of yourself as a foreigner or a stranger where you live? If you belong to Jesus, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, That means he's also your king. He's your leader. You belong to his kingdom. His kingdom is not of this earth. We are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Philippians 3.20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we're gonna have a right understanding of politics, we have to understand that our citizenship is first In heaven. It is first with Christ Jesus. And that helps change our perspective for how we view this world. We are spiritual exiles. Now, the people of Israel, they were literal exiles. 
in uh, 606, 597, and 586 BC, there were uh, three uh, uh, times where the nation of Babylon came and deported the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem and Judah, to Babylon. Babylon was about a thousand mile journey. They didn't have like the nice 495 interstate. It was a long, hard journey far away from their homeland. Now, a prophet named Jeremiah wrote them a letter. So Jeremiah's in Jerusalem, he's in Judah. He writes them a letter after the second deportation, and he tells them how to live. How are you to live in exile? How are you to live in Babylon? So this is my big idea of the sermon, but kind of the big idea of the, the book as well, that God calls exiles to faithful presence. God calls exiles to faithful presence. Now I've put faithful presence in quotes uh, because this is Hunter's name for the posture uh, he thinks we should have when it comes to politics. It's his name for the posture he thinks that Jeremiah is telling the Israelites the Hebrew people, to take. So let's read uh, the first couple of verses of uh, this passage in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. So I won't have this on the screen. You're just going to have to look at your Bibles. Uh, But Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, starting with verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now notice there, who God says is responsible for their exile. Does he say the Babylonians are responsible for their exile? No, he says, I carried you into exile. Now that must have been hard to hear because they just went through some terrible events, uh, being uprooted from their city, being uprooted from their homeland and taken to Babylon. And yet God is saying, I am responsible. I have carried you where I have you now. Now this, as we think about this and apply it to our own lives, if we are believers who are in exile, that means God has carried you to where you are. God has carried you into this nation. God has carried you into this city or another town that you live in. God has carried you into your family. God has carried you into your workplace. God has carried you into your circumstances. God has carried you exactly where he wants you. Do you recognize that? Do you see that? Are you operating like that is true? Are you trying to get out of where he has carried you? Where has God carried you? And do you see it? Verse 5 says, build houses. (laughs) You don't typically build a house if you're just going to up and go, right? Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, do not decrease. See, God is calling his people to be present where he has them. I have placed you here. You are in exile here. Be there. Notice God does not call them to try and take over Babylon. He doesn't say, we're going to start a revolt. He doesn't say, go back to Jerusalem, just says live, be faithful, be present, right where I have you. But he also says, you know, you're you're going to maintain who you are. You're going to be my people. 
In other words, be faithful. Hold on to belief in me. Do not give that up. Hold on. And as, as we think about that, like we have the full picture, the big story. So we're to hold on to Christ. We're to hold on to our faith in him. We're to hold on to these scriptures. And so the question for each of us is, where God has you, are you faithful to him? And are you present there? Or do you want to be somewhere else? It seems awful personal for a story about, a sermon about politics, right? But it all comes down to, am I present where God has me on his behalf? Verse 7 says this, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. The word for peace and prosperity uh, is the Hebrew word shalom. It's just one word, shalom. Shalom, according to Hunter, is a vision of order and harmony, fruitfulness and abundance, wholeness, beauty, joy, and well-being. So, let me say that verse again. Seek the order and harmony. Seek the fruitfulness and abundance. Seek the wholeness and beauty. Seek the joy and well-being of the city to which I have carried you into exile, of Westford, of Littleton, of Acton, of wherever God has you, Tingsboro, Chelmsford. Our word for politic is kind of a dirty word in our culture, right? But it just comes from the Greek word polis, which just means city. So to care about politics is to care about the city. And so the question here is, are you cultivating the shalom in your city, in, in the polis where God has called you? Are you politicking for peace? Are you politicking for peace? And so ask yourself, how can I cultivate harmony? How can I cultivate uh, peace in my workplace or hometown? How can I foster fruitful relationships? How can I invest in the people that are around me? How can I care about and show joy and love and kindness to those that hold a completely different political position than my own? How can I work for wholeness? How can I create the beauty, the joy, and the well-being wherever I go? These are all questions we need to ask us as we think about politics, as we think about what the Bible is calling us to do as exiles in a foreign land. See, before we ever point out what's wrong with our culture, we're to seek its well-being. We're to say, here is beauty. <laughs> here is joy. As Christians, we're so quick to say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. But before we ever get to that, we should be known for what is right, for what we see as good and, and blessed in our culture. We should be known not by what we are against, but by what we are for. We are for shalom. We are for wholeness. We are for joy and well-being. That doesn't mean that we won't ever have to say what's wrong. But let's be quick to say what's right. God calls exiles to faithful presence. Now, I'm assuming that most of what I've said so far didn't strike you as particularly disagreeable. <laughs> we want to be faithful. We want to be present where God has us. But sometimes defining what something is also means defining what something is not. 
And so I'm going to kind of give an overview of what this is not. Hunter lays out three other positions. So as we look at those, hopefully it will point us to what is right. I want to introduce these positions with a quote from him that develops on this faithful presence a little bit more. Clearly, it would have been justifiable for the Jews to be hostile to their captors. It also would have been natural enough for them to withdraw from engaging the world around them. By the same token, it would have been easy for them to simply assimilate with the culture that surrounded them. Any of these three options made sense in human terms, but God was calling them to something different. Not to be defensive against, isolated from, or absorbed into the dominant culture, but to be faithfully present within it. On the face of it, this was not a posture of radical and prophetic challenge to the powers that be, but neither was it a passive acceptance of the established order. The people of Israel were being called to enter the culture culture in which they were placed as God's people, reflecting in their daily practices their distinct identity as chosen by God. He was calling them to maintain their distinctiveness as a community, but in ways that served the common good. God calls exiles to faithful presence, but this excludes defensiveness, absorption, or isolation. I want to look at each one of those a little bit more. God doesn't call exiles to be defensive against. During the exile to Babylon, a false prophet named Hananiah prophesied that the people would all get to go home soon, (laughs) that they would get to go home real quick, and they would get back everything they lost, and that God would destroy their captors. It sounds like a pretty good message if you're in exile, and if you've been taken from your homeland. Jeremiah 28, 1 through 4 is his message. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. This is the false prophet speaking. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon." This is a lie. (laughs) This is not true. Hananiah is not speaking on God's behalf. God does not have these plans in mind. And so as we think about our culture, we begin to reflect on this story and see how in this story, Hananiah was calling them to be defensive against, to challenge the powers that be. But what does Jeremiah prophesy? Verses 8 through 10 of chapter 29 in your Bibles. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed... For Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. In other words, get comfortable in exile. You're going to be there a long, long time, 70 years. You're going to die. Your kids are going to come. They may die. And their kids finally will return home. It's hard to make a foreign country your home if you're 
always criticizing it or attacking it or fighting against its government or its people, any part of that nation. See, Hunter, ultimately the Bible is saying, be present, be faithful, don't be defensive against. Hunter explains the defensive against posture much better than I do, but I've tried to take the gist of what he says this posture is and summarize it. And four kind of components, the challenges this, uh, this posture faces, uh, the strategy it uses, the objective of each posture, and the outcome it has. Now, there's always exceptions. And this position could be true of either right or left. But in Hunter's opinion, this posture has generally been true of political and theological conservatives. Now, we are a theologically conservative church, right? Part of the Conservative Congregational Christian Conference. So we already hold theologically conservative beliefs. And I'm sure many of us have conservative opinions politically as well. And so let's just hear him out. Let's hear what he has to say, recognizing that this may be a challenge to us to examine our own hearts and our own ways of operating. So defensive against... What's the objective? Retain right belief and right actions within the world. It's a good goal. What are the challenges faced? Well, trying to preserve the nation and Christian faith in the midst of secularization. Trying to hold on to that. What's the strategy? Call for national repentance and faith while confronting the opposition. And in Hunter's opinion, what has been the outcome of that? Well, creation of walls between ourselves and the world, self-protection, creation of parallel institutions in music, education, and media, anxiety, and alienation. It hasn't led to the outcomes that we hoped. Now, if you're like me, you might be thinking, But aren't there times when we should fight back? Aren't there times when we should confront? Aren't there times when we should speak prophetically against sin in our world? Shouldn't we stand up and say, that's not right? Well, this is something we wrestled with with during our retreat. Our African and American, uh, African American brothers and sisters in Christ, there was uh, several of them that were a part of the Akinge program. They come from a church that has had that prophetic voice in the culture, calling for social justice. They've spoken truth to power. So does that mean that that's not right? Shouldn't we care about issues like abortion or systemic racism? Where's our prophetic call? I don't know if I know the answer. (laughs) I think this is probably one of the only weaknesses in his book. I think there is a time that God calls us to speak prophetically. But I also think there are times, and it's a special circumstance. See, not everyone in the Old Testament is a prophet. (laughs) What does God call the majority of the people to do? Be faithful and be present. He does raise up prophets, Daniel, Esther, and you can name a few more. 
Those were special circumstances. By and large, God calls everyone, even the prophets, to be humble, to be faithful to him wherever God has placed them. I don't think God calls exiles to be defensive against. I think he calls us to faithful presence. God calls uh, exiles, God doesn't call exiles to be relevant to. God doesn't call the exiles to take their future into their own hands, but instead that he will be faithful to them. Verse 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, if we know that that God is going to prosper us, and I don't mean necessarily in this life, giving you financial gain and safety and security, but eternal spiritual prosperity. If God has promised to do that for you, then you don't have to take that into your own hands and say, I'm going to make this happen no matter the cost. So the relevant to posture is when believers adopt the culture without reservation because they want the blessing, (laughs) This happens when churches and individuals forsake the Bible because it hinders the church, the church's growth or their acceptance by the culture. In Hunter's opinion, the relevant to posture tends to be true of political and theological liberals. (laughs) So relevant to, what's the objective? Well, to connect with the world, people, and issues of the day. That's not a bad objective. It's a good objective. But when it becomes our driving motivation, just like the last one, the only thing we're holding on to, then it it turns south. The challenges it faces, trying to impose ethical restraints and changes on a society that resists or holds a different ethic. And what's the strategy? Well, focus on relevance and felt needs, but neglect right beliefs. What's the outcome? Well, the outcome is loss of distinctiveness and historic Christian faith, loss of creeds, loss of confessions. It could also be kind of a judgmentalism or an alienation that comes about. If God promises to take care of his people in exile, we don't have to worry about being as relevant to, as, as assimilating into the culture. We don't have to create our own blessing. We're just supposed to seek the blessing of the city. We don't seek it for ourselves. We seek it for them. God doesn't call exiles to be relevant to, but to faithful presence. And thirdly, God doesn't call exiles to purity from. In our last few verses, God says he will be with his people in exile. He says that their job is to seek the peace and to seek God, and God will take them out of exile. God will do it in his time. Verses 12 through 14. Then you will call on me, just call on me, seek me, and, and come and pray for me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart, with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So who brings us out of exile? God or us? In Hunter's opinion, the purity from posture tends to be true of any group of people, right or left, who withdraws or separates from culture or society. What's the objective of the purity from posture? 
to preserve the historic Christian faith and witness. This is not so different from the defensive against posture, but it takes a different response. See, it, it sees the challenges. The world is so broken, we can't do anything for it. <laughs> so what's the strategy? Withdraw from the world and culture to restore a true witness. Don't get your sin on me. What's the outcome? Disengagement with the world, closed communities, feelings of us against them, ultimately alienation. <laughs> See, all three posture, postures, defensive against, uh, relevant to, and purity from, actually end up in the same place. Alienation from those around them. You can't seek shalom for the city if you're also fighting against the city or if you're trying to become the city or if you're running away from the city. And so what does God call us to? God calls us to faithful presence. I'd fall short if I didn't try to understand Hunter's kind of unpacking of faithful presence. What I want to communicate is that this next kind of four um, attributes or four characteristics of people who are faithful and present is something for us to aspire to. It's not easy. It's something God calls us to. It's, it's something that the scriptures is calling to be true of followers of Christ. And I believe that this can become true. That as exiles and citizens of heaven, we can be marked by faithful presence in our world in our politics. So if this isn't you and you've fallen into one of those postures, well then just repent. Come to Christ and say, Lord, help me to be faithful and present. Maybe you can already see a little glimmer of faithful presence in you, but you want more. Praise God. That's how we want to walk. So what's the objective of those who are faithful and present? Well, to be faithful and present <laughs> wherever God calls us, wherever God calls us. This is a call to love God and love your neighbor. And love your neighbor on the other side of the political aisle, even if your neighbor is drastically different than you. What are the challenges? Well, it's a temptation to fight back, to forsake beliefs, or to disengage. What's the strategy? Well, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, <laughs> not just geographically, but where you are in every level of society, whether you're a, uh, a garbage man <laughs> or a politician or a lawyer or a teacher or an engineer, whatever you are, go and make disciples there. Live your life for Jesus. What's the outcome, Lord willing? Well, shalom. <laughs> Hope, joy, patient endurance, finding the common good, not alienation, but reconciliation. See, faithful presence leads to connection. <laughs> connection between us and a lost world. Isn't that what God did for us? See, the gospel is the good news that God himself became present among us. That God himself exiled himself from heaven through Christ Jesus, his son, so that he could come and be faithful and be present among sinful and dirty and broken people. People who he probably didn't agree very much with their politics. 
but just be present with us. Instead of driving us away, he loves us. He loves us so much, he he was willing to sacrifice his own life, the life of his son, Christ Jesus, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be faithful and present with him. That's what grace does. It brings us back to God. God did that by bringing himself to us. That's the gospel. If you don't know this message to be true in your own life, you can have a relationship with God by saying, I'm broken, I'm sinful. Here are all the ways I fall short. Jesus, you're it. (laughs) I believe in you. Thank you for being faithful and present to me. What does God call us to do? He says, go and do likewise. I have done this for you. Go and be faithful and present where I am calling you to be. God calls exiles to faithful presence. 